1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Remember, we've talked as we've read through this, is like a hammer that Judas continuing to hit hammer after hammer after hammer blow, that there are certain ungodly people who have crept in and they will be judged. Hammer blow, hammer blow. Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the, um, in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. <coughs> Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, <coughs> following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the, of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What a great book. What a great letter. We're going to be in, in verses 14 through 16. And this is a, an interesting thing for me. He's been hammering and hammering and hammering about how terrible these, point, these people are. And that's something that in, in our culture we, we kind of shy back away from because, you know, in the church, you know, we have to be loving and kind and gracious. But, but these people are so terrible. And what they are doing is so destructive that Jude continues to hammer the point that these people are ungodly. And that's not a good thing. In verse 14, it says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, the word also there means we're continuing to go. This is part of the, the process that Jude is writing to us about. And, and these people also, just like all the terrible descriptions I've given you before, these people also are the ones that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. And this morning as we look at this, I want you to notice again that the Old Testament is being used the Old Testament is being referred to again. Jude is, is walking through this letter to the New Testament church and he's using the Old Testament as his, as his reference, as his foundation. This is where the message comes from. It's fantastic. You and I would do well to follow his lead. It would be, it would be, it would be very good for you and I to make sure that we are digesting the entirety of Scripture. That's what Jude is doing. Old Testament examples, Old Testament truths, Old Testament passages given to the New Testament church. That's a helpful thing. It's important for us to recognize that when Jude here refers all the way back to Enoch in the first chapters of the book of Genesis, he's connecting the lifestyles and the ungodliness of the pre-flood people to these ungodly people. Think about how terrible you must be for a prophet to say these people are so bad that they're like the people that God destroyed the earth for. And that's the message that we have. But what Jude does here that is so interesting, he takes this, this word of Enoch and he, he changes one word. It says in verse 14, Behold, about these, uh, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Enoch's prophecy said this, and he comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. But for you and I, it's important to note that Jude says that he is the Lord. When, when Jude is connecting the destruction and the damnation of these terrible people for their terrible ungodliness, he connects that with the Lord's coming. So the first thing I want us to see this morning as we look at it is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. For the Christian, 
Jesus Christ is always the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. As Christians, we all interpret the Old Testament through the filter of the New Testament, through the filter of Jesus Christ. And Jude shows us a wonderful way of that happening here. Paul says it this way, these, the Old Testament, is a shadow of the things to come. But the substance of God's message, the substance of God's truth is found in Jesus Christ. And when we look here in this passage, Jude wants us to know that Jesus Christ is coming. And the Lord's judgment upon the ungodly generations following Enoch is exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus destroyed the whole human race except for eight souls with a global flood. Earlier we saw that Jude revealed Jesus' part in the Exodus where Jesus Christ destroyed all those who did not believe. And now he reveals to you and I that Jesus was instrumental in the flood. For us this morning, Jesus and judgment go hand in hand. If you don't remember anything else that I say this morning, remember this. Jesus Christ is coming to judge and convict. Jesus Christ is coming to judge and convict. This is often neglected when we talk simply about God's love. We forget about the reality of judgment and conviction. We think that, that the love of God is some, some arbitrary thing that, that covers everybody in some omnibenevolence. But that is not what love is. Love upholds the truth. Love upholds righteousness and justice. Love is loving in that way. We would not think that a judge is loving who overlooks sin and allows a terrible person to go back out into the world and destroy people. If we stood in a court of law and we saw that the judge just willy-nilly because of his love and his kindness let sinners and murderers and rapists go free to do that to anybody anywhere, that's not love. And when we look at it this morning, the way Jude is revealing this after he's hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered about how terrible these ungodly people are and their sins are so terrible, he brings in the judge. And he says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. This morning, I want us to think about the implications of this and the implications of the resurrection. As we read this, Jude speaks, referring back to the first chapters of the Bible, and then points these believers to the accomplishment of the resurrection. How can the Lord come if he's still dead? The living Lord, Jude says, the one who lives is coming because he's not still dead. The living Lord is coming with ten thousands of his holy ones. The contrast here for me is, is pretty abrupt. The Lord isn't diminished. His power and sovereignty isn't defeated simply because these people refuse to believe in Him. Because these people would rather trust their dreams. Because these people reject authority. God isn't up there saying, oh my goodness, it's just not going to work out. 
Jude says no. And his hammer is heavy. The Lord is coming. Consider that. I'd love for us to be sober-minded this morning. Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. He will be visible. He will be audible. He will be tangible. We will be able to see Him. We will be able to hear Him. And we will be able to feel Him. He is coming. It is about these that Enoch spoke. Behold, the Lord comes. It's huge. It's also huge. He's not coming alone. I think that's significant. I mean, it would be enough for him to come all alone. He's Jesus Christ. He's the sovereign one. He's the shepherd. He's the creator of the world. He can do whatever he wants. But it's very significant that in this revelation, he is revealed as coming back with 10,000s. Because this is a kingdom. It's not just a, a God on an island. This is a kingdom where he reigns as king and he will be bringing his own back to do kingdom work. The Lord is coming. He is coming. And he's going to accomplish something. And this morning, let's look at two things that he'll accomplish. And I hope this causes everyone to pause. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Verse 15, to execute judgment on all. Jesus judges. Jesus judges. He's the one that's going to execute judgment on all. In this passage also, as we've seen before, Jude emphasizes that these ungodly people aren't simply different. They're not simply mistaken. They are designated for judgment and none of them will escape. It says this to execute judgment on all. The Lord is coming. And all will be judged. As we look at this, the word judgment means to decide a question of legal right or wrong. To determine the innocence or guilt of the accused and to assign appropriate punishment or retribution. Jesus is coming to decide the question between right and wrong in every single human being. The focus here is, is twofold. First, Jesus is the authority figure. Think about the, the, the being who has the authority to judge all of us. Think about that. One of the greatest verses that are, is misquoted in all of the Bible is, judge not lest you be judged. Nobody wants anybody to say anything about us. And we all uphold our rights and our feelings and our priorities and our relevance. But the fact is that there is one coming who has the authority to stand above everything and to decide right and wrong. And Jesus is that being. Jesus is that one. Second, everyone else stands before him. He's coming to judge all. Everybody is under his judgment. Even though these ungodly people think they are speaking and acting with authority, they don't realize that they are absolutely under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. Earlier, Jude reminded us that Jesus has kept the rebellious angels in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. This is the one who's coming. The one who has the authority and the power to keep the angels in eternal chains until that great day. 
He is coming. And the word execute helps us to understand that this isn't something that's going to accidentally happen. And it's not something that's potential. He is coming to execute judgment on all. He will do this. It won't be haphazard. We ought to think about it like this. Of course, judgment will happen. Of course it will, because Jesus is coming. We see that this kind of thing happens. Somebody comes, a presence makes a difference. Somebody comes into the house and all of the different uh, 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 atmospheres change. The, the relationships change. I come home and, and I stand outside the door and I hear one brother yelling at another brother. And, and one brother is, is uh, uh, asserting his authority and the other brother is rebelling against his authority. And, and, and who knows who's right or wrong, but dad steps in the middle of it. And then all of a sudden there's a balance, Right. Because judgment has happened. Typically, my judgment is I don't care what you were talking about, but we're not yelling, we're not doing this. And when I step in, my very presence brings judgment on the house. In this picture, Jesus Christ is coming. And when the holy, righteous, sovereign, ever living, eternal one appears, judgment will be a default mechanism. It will happen and every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Of course judgment will happen. Of course it will. Jesus Christ is coming and he will judge. Hammer. Hammer. But not only does he judge, it says Jesus convicts. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy one to execute judgment on all. And then look at this long thing. And to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The word convict it means to prove the guilt of somebody. He's not coming just to judge. He's coming to prove his judgment. He's coming to demonstrate the reality of his glorious sovereignty and his righteousness. Justice will happen. When Jude talks about conviction, he's not talking about that, that conviction that we feel, that little hitch in our, in our heart when, when we feel a little guilty or whatever. Oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. Oops, I probably should have done that. Or, or oops, I forgot Amy told me to. Oh, wait, I got personal here. Right? It's not that, that, that little conviction. The conviction is when Amy says, you know, you told me that you were going to do this, 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 and this. And she lays out the proof. And I'm like, ah, I know. Jesus is coming to lay out the proof. And the proof is this. They're ungodly. They are ungodly. They are people who have no God in their lives. Jesus Christ, when he comes, he is going to demonstrate the reality that people have chosen the darkness rather than the light. He comes to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. Think about this. All of their deeds of ungodliness. Every single deed that they have done. Think about the person or the being that could do that, first of all. In God's mind, all information is always 
fully active and present for, communica- or for consideration. I want you to think about that for a minute. We were studying a, a systematic theology on Wednesday nights, uh, I don't know, I don't know about 10 years ago by Wayne Grudem. And when he described omniscience, he described it this way. If you were to ask God how many grains of sand there were at any given moment in the whole world, he could give you the precise answer immediately without having to figure it out. That's God's knowledge. If you ask me, I would have to figure out how to figure it out. And then I would have to have the wherewithal to be able to count every single one of them. And then I would have to have also the wherewithal to make sure that I didn't over miscount whatever. Think of all of the ramifications that would go into figuring out how many grains of sand. And the, the, the reality of God's knowledge is this. God knows right now, immediate, he would say this number and he wouldn't even have to pause to make sure he got it right. It's the same with the number of hairs on every human being's head at any given moment. God's knowledge is expansive. And so when we think of that, and we think of what Jude is saying now about Jesus Christ, that he is going to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness, he won't have to say, what in the world? I know I'm forgetting something. No. Every single ungodly deed that was ever committed is ever present and active in his memory. That's the judge that is coming to judge. It's a complete and entirely detailed work of conviction. When we stand before the judge of all the earth, our deeds of ungodliness will be presented in total. Think about the being that could do that. As we read this, we need to recognize that these things that they're doing isn't isn't just a mistake or or a bad choice. The idea of being ungodly means that they're doing something that was not something that God would do. They are without God in their intentions and their expressions. It says all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed. It's not hypothetical. God's judgment will be real, true, rational. They're... Out excuse. It says that they have committed in such an ungodly way. Not only their deeds ungodly, but their attitudes, they're ungodly. God has no place in their lives. God has no place in their lives. I know that as I've been working through this passage, this has become like a mirror for me in my heart. I have been so challenged by this. How much of my life is lived in just this way? No consideration of God. No consideration of God's word. I just walk through life so often. And here as I read the book of Jude, I could be these ungodly people. How often do I live as if he doesn't exist? It reminded me of Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Anything done apart from faith is sin. Anything done apart from faith is sin. Anything done apart from an active, engaged, intentional trusting of God is sin and ungodly. 
Not only though is he talking about the deeds here. They're not just going to be convicted of their deeds and their thoughts. From the, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he goes on to, to say, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. All of their words will be presented. Not only all of their deeds and all the acts that they've, been, or that they've committed, but now Jude talks about, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Not just spoken against Christ, but Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Jesus is talking about the reality that, that when he confronted Paul and he, or Saul, and he said, you are persecuting me, and Saul says, oh, am I persecuting you? And he says, when you persecute the church, you persecute me. All of the harsh things that these ungodly people have spoken against Christ, they're trash talkers. They're garbage talkers. Their talk is harsh. The content is abrasive. It's condemning in its own way. Their talk is against Jesus. They're not making disciples of Jesus. They're not teaching all that he has commanded. They're telling wrong, hateful lies about the son of the most holy God. And he goes on to, it's like, like Jude, to hammer and hammer and hammer. Verse 16, they, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Judgment is coming because their talk is utterly selfish. They grumble like the Israelites in the, in the wilderness after be, being delivered from Egypt. And these grumblers were destroyed by Jesus because of their unbelief. It's, it's no stretch to understand why Jude put this here. Because Jesus is coming to convict of grumbling. It says they're malcontents. They're fault finders. It says they follow their own desires. That's the key, isn't it? They're ungodly. It's loud, it's boastful, it's flattering. Their talk serves only themselves. These are the ungodly. And this morning, the challenge for you and I is this. All of this trash talking takes its toll. All of this sinful reality is ungodly. Today, as we close, do we realize that our words display our hearts for the whole world to see? Do we realize how much of Jude's description could fit us? Not only do we need to watch out for people who have crept in unnoticed, who are doing terrible things in the church, but you and I need to consider, what about me? What about me? What in the world will combat this ungodliness? It's only the word. It's only the gospel. Remember what I said earlier about Jesus and judgment going hand in hand? Do you remember when I said that Jesus is coming, that he's judging and he's convicting? Do you realize that that's what he did? On the cross, Jesus Christ found his people guilty and he judged them. I want you to think about that with me. The cross is a guilty verdict carried out. The condemnation that Jesus Christ experienced on the cross of Calvary is the reality of Jesus coming and judging and convicting and then taking our place. 
I want you to think about that. All of the terrible condemnation I've been talking about this morning was laid on Jesus Christ. Is that sobering? He took the place of His condemned children. He took the place of His convicted children. Judgment did happen to Him. Conviction did happen to Him. This is the gospel. This is the message of hope for you and I today. Maybe this morning you've seen that you're one of the ungodly ones. Maybe in this message I've described your heart. I've described your words. I've described your rebellion. Maybe this morning you can finally see that you stand under that judgment. Rightfully so. I want to share with you this. Christ died to bring ungodly sinners to the Father. Christ died to cleanse unrighteousness. I invite you to turn to Him today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus Christ has come. And He has lived perfectly and He has died. And He is alive. And He's ascended. And His gospel is being presented to you today. It is good news. It's not good news that we're ungodly. But it's good news that we have one who saves the ungodly who cleanses us from all unrighteousness, Jesus Christ is coming again. And I challenge you to get your life right. Because when He comes next time, it will bring the final judgment where the ungodly will be condemned and the delivered will be saved. Won't you turn to Christ today? Your only hope is Jesus Christ. Won't you get over yourselves? Won't you turn? Won't you believe the gospel and be saved? Christians, this morning, there's two things that I'd like you to think about before we close. First, we need to rejoice in our resurrected King. Because of Christ, we're no longer ungodly. Because of Christ, we stand. Because of Christ, we've been washed whiter than snow. Because of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven. We've been delivered. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We're a servant of the king. Let's live in that. Christians, he is coming. His appearance is at hand. Let us live as though he is alive. The anticipation, the glory of his return makes everything that we are experiencing now seem less and less. Let's live in the gospel the truth is that the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Christians, let us live as if He has come. And second, we need to recognize that the ungodly need this message of hope. The ungodly need this message of hope. We need to read this kind of passage with a mixture of hope and of urgency. Because Jesus is coming and judgment is inevitable and sin has filled every human heart, there is no hope for anyone outside of this message. 
Christians, we must share this truth. We must express this. We must testify of Jesus Christ's great grace. You know that name that we put on our prayer list? We need to share with them this week. We need to share the gospel. Let's pray. 